Welcome back to Tamart Radio on KDRT 95.7 FM in Davis, California. This is your host, Rohan Bakshi. Numbers are everywhere in sports, both on and off the field. Team managers look at players' stats to scout athletes. Coaches use analytics to figure out play calls and in-game strategies. And many athletes track their performance stats to fine-tune their skills. And then there is the whole world of sports data off the field. Websites like Nate Silver's 538 gives fans predictions and odds of their team winning a championship. Statistics and mathematical models are used in fantasy leagues and sports betting to predict the outcome of a game. Sports data helps teams predict outcomes of plays and make smarter decisions on the field. It takes a skilled athlete to win a game, but sports statistics lets teams figure out how to help them position their athletes for success in many sports. For example, basketball teams optimize their offenses for three-pointers and layups because crunching data tells us that these are the most efficient shots. These days, cameras that track every move, wearable technology, Artificial intelligence and machine learning help teams figure out ball speeds and player positions and are used to help coaches make decisions during and after games. Many professional sports teams now have data scientists who work on their staff, but the field of sports data analytics is not new at all. Pull out your old baseball card collection from under your bed and you'll see the career stats of players listed on them. You've heard from lots of radio and TV sports broadcasters on this show, and they use sports data in their commentaries and share their predictions of what might happen. Baseball box scores have been published in newspapers since the 1800s. In the 1980s, statistician Bill James came up with a mathematical model called Sabermetrics to predict the number of runs baseball players are likely to score. He published this method in his book, The Bill James Historical Baseball Abstract. Oakland Athletics general manager Billy Bean used sabermetrics to assemble a team of undervalued players that led to the team setting the record in 2002 for the most consecutive wins in a single season. Michael Lewis's best-selling book, Moneyball, described this approach and the book was made into a 2011 movie where Brad Pitt played Bean. Billy Bean had quite the career in sports management. He was a minor league baseball player who joined the Oakland A's as their assistant general manager. His job involved scouting minor league players along with general manager Sandy Alderson. The previous owner of the A's was Walter Haas Jr. and during that time the team had one of the highest payrolls in baseball. When Haas passed away, the new owners asked Alderson to cut payroll and he used sabermetrics to identify undervalued players who fit his smaller budget. Bean succeeded Alderson as the A's general manager and he continued using stats to make them one of the most cost-effective teams in baseball. He focused his strategy on two approaches that were uncommon back then, drafting high school athletes and recruiting players with defensive skills. In 2002, the Athletics became the first team in over 100 years of American League Baseball to win 20 consecutive games. 
Many other sports managers followed Billy Bean's strategy of using data to predict and improve performance, and this helped the field of sports analytics gain momentum. In today's episode of Time Out Radio, we meet Chris Harden. Chris shares how he combined his love of sports, statistics, and computer science in his job as a sports data scientist at ESPN. Chris works at the ESPN headquarters in Connecticut, which is our place of the week. Up next is Radio by MNEK and Sigala. You're listening to Time Out Radio on KDRT 95.7 FM in Davis, California. Our guest on today's episode is Chris Harden, who is a sports data scientist at ESPN. So, Chris, welcome to the show. 
First off, uh, what sort of things do you work on in your job at ESPN and what's a typical day like? Yeah, thanks, Ron. Um, most of my job is working on uh, models of some kind for one of the many sports that ESPN covers. So the team that I'm on is eight to 10 people and um, some of the flagship metrics that we produce are things like um, basketball power index, football power index for both pro and college sports. And so if you're on like the ESPN app or ESPN.com and you see predictions for how likely a certain team is to win a game or maybe to make the playoffs or something like that, those models come from my team. So a lot of my time day to day is just managing those models, making sure that they're running correctly um, during the off season, looking at how they've performed and if there's improvements that do need to be made or certain um, aspects of the game that we're not taking into account. And then beyond actually just managing models, I also do a lot of like kind of like bigger picture planning, trying to find ways that our team can operate more efficiently. Um, our, our code can can be cleaner and easier to read and things like that to make uh, managing models in the future, you know, easier and kind of more big picture stuff like that. So I do a lot of that stuff. And um, yeah, I work primarily in R and every once in a while I use other softwares and programs as needed. Uh, but our whole team does pretty much everything we can in R. And what do you like most about your job? I mean, sports. <laughs> <laughs> I I love sports, which is, you know, obviously that's why I got into sports analytics. I just absolutely love watching sports, almost any sport. And I love that part of my job can sometimes be, you know, watching a game. I don't get to just watch all games and clock at his time. But sometimes I have a model or um, a visualization that's running live during a game. And so I get to watch a game and watch my model or visualization and and, you know, that's that's paid time, which is fantastic. Um, hard to find in another job. I also just, you know, love data in general. And sports offers a really cool way to look at data, how it actually affects things that happen in real life, how people make decisions and things like that. So I just I love all of those aspects um, of the job. It, it really is, at least for me, it's it's a dream. Mm -hmm. And you love sports, statistics, computer science and combining all three. So what's uh, an interesting project that you've worked on recently that's really stood out. Yeah, I've, I've had some fun ones um, recently with with football. And one of the first projects I did, the SPN was with the NBA. But most recently, I've been working on our college basketball power index or, or, or BPI, which is our our model for college basketball that projects how how well teams are going to perform in the future. So it helps us predict how likely teams are to win individual games or eventually to like make the NCAA tournament or, or win it all and the, all of those kinds of things. And so we've had this model for about 10 years. It's been a while, but this kind of was my first chance to take it all the way over and kind of be the primary driver and running it and make sure that it works, making improvements as necessary. And so it's been a lot of fun to really get into the details of that model, figure out why it performs the way it performs and kind of follow it game to game. I've watched a lot more college basketball this year than I have in previous years. And that's, it's, it's been really enjoyable to do that and to compare it with how the model performs. And, and so far we've, we've had a really good year. So yeah, that's been a lot of fun. All right. Well, let's uh, look back at the start of your journey. So obviously you said you love sports, but when and how did you get interested in specifically sports data analytics? Yeah, it's uh, my sometimes I feel like my journey was funny. Maybe it's 
maybe it's typical for someone in sports analytics, but I barely was interested in sports when I was a kid and through my teenage years. I like sports and I would watch occasionally, but I didn't really follow any really closely. And then in college, I stumbled upon Sports Center on Snapchat, which probably shows how young I still am. <laughs> but um, I found Sports Center on Snapchat, absolutely fell in love with the the ESPN guys who are running that. I thought they were hilarious. And and it it made me fall in love with with sports and seeing like what had happened over the weekend or or the previous night in sports and some of the funny stories and inspirational stories. And I just thought it was so cool the kind of stories these people could tell with sports. And so I started to really enjoy sports and read ESPN articles in my free time. And then I took a statistics class um, to fill some other requirement. I thought I was going to do computer science as a major. And I took some statistics class to fulfill a requirement and learned R. And I still remember like doing survival analysis on the really well-known Titanic data set with, you know, like what genders and age and different things. And you try and figure out how likely people were to survive. And I just had a blast doing that in R and learning how to to model in a way I didn't know how to do before. And that was when I thought, you know, hey, maybe I should switch majors and really look into the statistics thing. And it wasn't very long after that, that I realized I could combine it with sports and, and long story short, here we are. Mm-hmm. And in college, you majored in statistical science uh, with minors in mathematics and computer science. And you went on to get your master's from UC Berkeley down the road from me. Uh, So what skills do you think are most important for this job? Yeah, I pretty much all of this, the the essential skills that helped me get a job in sports, I gained during school, although it wasn't always actually like in a class. So there's a lot you can learn without necessarily having to take classes in college. The biggest thing that that I use every day is R. And so, like I said, I, I first learned R in a statistical programming class. Mm-hmm. And then I started kind of getting better and better at it just by doing my own projects for fun. I loved the programming language and what I could do with it. And ultimately, I think one of the main reasons that I got the job at ESPN was that I was really proficient programming in R and I could do pretty much anything that that they wanted done. And it's still a skill I use on the job every day. Beyond that, Obviously, anything you can learn about statistical models is really helpful, and it can be a lot of fun to learn about kind of new and exciting, more like machine learning style statistical models that are kind of cutting edge. But knowing the basics, understanding how to do linear regression, logistical regression, multinomials, things like that is ends up being super important um, because most of the time, those kinds of things fulfill all your needs. And if you know them well, they, they can perform really, really well. So those are probably the things that were most important for me, at least in my role. And you've had your range of experiences. You were an assistant coach for Salt Lake City Community College's basketball team, where you focused on using information and data to improve the team. And you worked in finance and investment companies and then joined ESPN about a year ago. So what jobs are in demand out there for sports data scientists? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a tough one just because there are so many people who love sports and data science in general is is a huge opportunity right now. And, and there's tons of opportunity for data scientists to get jobs and people are always hiring. In sports specifically, it's a little tougher just because I think there's so much competition for those roles, but they're still out there. There's a lot of those roles and you can set yourself apart by, well, by doing a number of things. But I think that 
if you are able to combine your programming skills, usually with R or Python, with a deep understanding of statistical models, even if it's the more basic ones and, you know, kind of the first ones you learn if you're doing statistics, then there can be a, a role for you in data science. And kind of speaking of setting yourself apart, one of the biggest things that I always tell people and one of the biggest things I think helped me get a job is is doing projects on the side. So like I mentioned, I learned a lot of my skills doing projects, but also when I started the interview process for ESPN, I had all of my projects on a website that I had built from hand. So I, I minored in computer science, so I do some web programming and that was really impressive two or three of the people that I interviewed with during the process mentioned how they'd gone to my website and looked at the models that I had created and seen what I'd done. And I think that was integral in me being able to get the job. So if you can do that and kind of put out there what what your skills are, your chances of getting some of these data scientist jobs in sports is, is a lot higher. And looking back, what's one thing you wish you'd known when you first started out working in this field? Yeah, this is a good question. And I wish I had a better answer. Um, I'll kind of take it twofold. One thing that I wish I'd known is that there are a lot of different ways you can go with data science. And for most people, if you want to be a sports analyst, sports analytics, you already love data. And there are a lot of other data jobs out there. So I was really dead set on getting a job in sports. I don't know how I would have reacted if I hadn't been able to end up in sports. Probably not great. I would have been pretty bummed because that was kind of the dream. But there are tons of data scientists jobs out there. And you asked, like, what kind of jobs are in demand? Data science in general is a huge demand right now. And so I would say build your skills in data science and don't be worried because even if, you know, sports doesn't turn out for you, there are going to be a ton of opportunities otherwise. So it's still a really good kind of career path in general. Um, The other thing I'd say is, don't worry about not knowing things. When I first started some of my data jobs, I was really worried about admitting that I didn't know what something was or didn't know how to do something. And so my coworkers would say, oh, you know, such and such modeling technique in R is what we use for that model. And I would just kind of nod my head and pretend I knew what they were saying, even though I hadn't learned that before. And I wish I could go back and tell myself that it's it's okay not to know things. And when when people use words or, or reference um concepts that you haven't learned before, just say, hey, like, I I haven't learned that before. What is it? Nobody's going to care. You've already kind of qualified yourself for the role. And just being open to that allows you to learn and grow quicker. And I kind of set myself back by trying to pretend that I knew everything and then having to either admit later that I didn't or try and figure it out on my own before anybody noticed that I didn't know what I was talking about. So if you're just open with the fact that you won't know everything, it goes a lot more smoothly, in my opinion. Mm Mm-hmm. And you like helping uh, aspiring sports analysts get noticed. So what advice would you give to an aspiring sports data analyst? Yeah, I I really do. I like helping people. Getting into sports was tough. It took me, you know, three, four years from when I decided I wanted to do sports statistics to when I finally got my job at ESPN. And I applied to literally hundreds of jobs and you know, rarely heard back, especially at the beginning before I'd kind of learned what I needed. So I love helping people um, in any way that I can to kind of jumpstart their way through that process and and get into sports. I kind of already mentioned it, but the biggest thing I tell people is is do projects. Um, So my very first, I don't even know if you can call it statistics project, but my first anything project was for my fantasy football league. And I built a really just basic linear regression model in Excel. And I was copy and pasting data off of ESPN.com and Yahoo. And it was 
you know, bad and messy, but I did it. And I wrote a little article about it and put it on my website that I talked about. And over the years, I did more advanced and impressive models and created more impressive like outputs and visualizations. But again, I, I think that's the biggest thing you can do trying to get into sports to set yourself apart is just to do something, go analyze something that you find interesting and people in the industry will notice and they'll want to hire you. So that's my number one piece of advice. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time and joining me on Time Out Radio today. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, that's Chris Harden, who is a sports data scientist at ESPN. Thank you.
was Skinny Ape by Gorillaz. In today's travel segment, we visit the state of Connecticut, home to the headquarters of the Entertainment and Sports Programming Network, or ESPN. Connecticut is the third smallest state by area in the U.S. Its name comes from the Native American word Quinnetucket, which translates to beside the long tidal river, and refers to the Connecticut River that runs through the middle of the state. Its nickname is the Constitution State. This is because it was home to what some people consider our country's first written constitution, the Fundamental Orders of Connecticut, which was adopted in 1639. It was the fifth state in the U.S., founded in 1788 as part of the 13 colonies. Connecticut now has a population of 3.6 million people. Its capital is Hartford, and its biggest city is Bridgeport. The state is home to several firsts. The Hartford Current is the country's oldest newspaper in continuous publication. Noah Webster published the first American dictionary in Connecticut. The state has three geographic regions. The western upland is in the western third of Connecticut and has steep hills and the state's highest point, Mount Frissel. The central lowland in the middle of the state has ridges and valleys created by volcanic eruptions millions of years ago and has lava-based rocks. The eastern upland has hills, rivers, and forests. The state is pretty green and about 60% of the state is covered by forests. The official state bird is the American robin. The state flower is the mountain laurel and the state insect is the praying mantis. At the Mystic Seaport Maritime Museum, you can see hundreds of historic ships stroll through a recreation of a 19th century coastal village, visit a working shipyard, and sail on a historic boat. Hungry from all that walking and sailing? Try a Connecticut-style hot lobster roll, steamed cheeseburger, and some abits. An abits is a charred, thin-crust, coal-fired Neapolitan pizza famous in the state. In the state's capital, Hartford, check out the house of writer Samuel Clemens, who used the pen name Mark Twain. Mark Twain's neighbor for 17 years in Hartford was author Harriet Beecher Stowe, and you can visit her house there. Her well-known novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin, has been read by millions. 
It described the harsh conditions experienced by enslaved African Americans and changed views on slavery in the United States. So that wraps up our journey to our place of the week, the state of Connecticut. All right, let's call a timeout for timeout radio. This was your host, Rohan Bakshi. You're listening to Cater 95.7 FM, where the grassroots grow. Have a great day, everyone.